Thank you for being here. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to look into your word and to study and learn from it. We ask for your guidance this morning, for your understanding to be given to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. At the end of the book of Colossians, and I thought what I would do today is just, since this is kind of like the, it is the last, you know, say hi to so-and-so kind of section of the, of the, of the letter, I'm going to just read it as a letter. You can follow along, but please, uh, I'll just read it um, so that we can kind of get the sense of this being a letter that's being read to the church in Colossae. Okay? He says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' son. As you were instructed, make, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers, and they are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully content that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And after you read this letter, pass it on to the church in Laodicea so they can read it too. And then you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Aristarchus, be sure you carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. And that's the end. That's the end of the letter. So if you were sitting in Colossae uh, when Tychicus comes and delivers the letter, it's pro- most probably he stood up and he read the whole letter through. If you read the whole letter of Colossians, you can do it probably depending on how fast you read and how much you want to understand. <laughs> in, in anywhere from uh, three to five minutes. It's not a really long piece of, of writing. But as we get into this last section, one of the things I really wanted to, to emphasize was that there's a lot of very real people that he's talking about here. Sometimes we read these names and we think, oh, yeah, yeah, back Bible times. And we're not thinking about them as real, honest-to-goodness, flesh-and-bone people who do some incredible things. And so I want to kind of make sure we think about that as we go along. Now, down through the years, I, I have always had two files in my house or in my office at home. One is a four-drawer file cabinet, and the other one is what I call the circular file. It sits on the floor by the door, and you know what I do with the circular file. That's where you throw stuff away. Now, Carol and I have been in ministry now over 45 years, and, and, and every now and then we'd get a note from somebody, an email, or 
um, something that that's, they say, hey, we just want you to know, thank you for this, or you, when you shared that, that was wonderful. And then sometimes you get the other kind. Um, and the other kind sometimes come along, and, and um, especially early in our marriage, I'd read those and I'd read them over again, and I'd read them over again, and I'd get angrier and angrier every time, and I'd sit down and write a really long letter back. I never sent them, but boy, I wrote them. And as time went on, I finally got to the point where I realized if as you begin to read something, that's what's going on. Read it through and say, Lord, is there anything here that I need to do anything about? And if the Lord doesn't speak very clearly about something, it goes in the circular file. Now, all the other ones, and I probably have just about everyone's ever been written in a file about this thick now, I've kept. Because I like to look back and say, you know, oh, that's right, I remember when so-and-so was going through that, and, and, and Carol and I counseled, and they were able to be encouraged. And so that's why I keep that whole file folder of encouragement. As we study these final remarks of Paul's, remember, one of his goals is to encourage the people who aren't in prison. And he's in prison. He's not going anywhere. He's been there over a year, probably close to two years now. And, and so he's writing to churches out there that are struggling with some issues, but his goal is encouragement to them. That's what he's doing. You'll see that as we go through this together. Let's start in verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 7. <clears throat> it says, Tychicus will tell you the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fe- fellow servant of the Lord. So he says, hey, he's going to tell you all about me. I'm sending this letter, but all you have to do is ask him questions, and you'll hear anything you need to know about our situation here. But he says, you need to know he's a dear brother. He's beloved by me and others here. He's a faithful minister. In other words, he's a servant that you can count on. You don't have to worry about it. He's faithful in the things that you ask him to do. And he's a fellow servant of the Lord. So Paul says he's faithful, but he's also my co-worker. Tychicus has been with me a while, so we're working together. He's a co-worker with me. And then he says in verse 8, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose, taking the letter, obviously, but also that you may know about our circumstances, know how we're doing, how it's going in jail. He'll give you the detailed information about anything that you want to know. He was, he's been here the whole time. And so he wants to send him to help them understand what's going on with Paul and those that are there with him, and he wants to send him to encourage them. That's critical part of this. So he's saying, I'm sending him. He's going to do all these things. He's going to deliver these letters. But on top of that, he's going to do whatever it takes to give you some encouragement in all of this. And, and, and I love the fact that that's what he was sent to do, to cheer, to reassure the Colossian church and to help them. Remember, the whole problem was false teachers. That's what he dealt with in those first two or three chapters. And so he's dealing with the false teachers now. He's moved into some of the teaching, and now he's saying, hey, I'm sending Tychicus to you. He's going to encourage you, and he'll help you in any way that he can. Verse 9, he's coming, um, <clears throat> he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Um, and they will tell you everything that's happening here. So if you remember, we, we studied the book of Onesimus, the letter to, to Philemon, I'm sorry, which is about Onesimus first. And the reason is that Onesimus was Philemon's slave who ran away. So as you're reading the book of Colossae, Philemon 
and the church that meets in his home in Colossae, now Onesimus is coming back. And Onesimus was a runaway slave, um, Philemon's runaway slave. And, and Paul says, well, I'm sending you back Onesimus, and he's a faithful and dear brother. So he's been with Paul for a certain amount of time. He's been converted, and now Paul's saying, okay, it's time to go back. You need to go back to make things right with, with uh, Philemon. And so our faithful dear brother, who is one of you, and then it's interesting because what he's saying here, he's one of you, but please understand he's no longer just a slave owned by Philemon. Now he's a brother in Christ to everybody in that church. And that's exactly what he's trying to communicate to them. We need to remember a runaway slave could be executed, face serious punishment, sold to somebody somewhere terrible. Uh, all of that could be true. And yet Paul's sending them back saying, hey, he's a faithful brother. He's a, he's a dear brother. I appreciate him. He's helped me. And, um, and not only that, he's going to help you understand what's going on in my situation. And so <clears throat> he talks about those two guys. And I just want to pause for some implications here just to, for a few seconds. We see that Paul is still a prisoner, and he eventually he's going to spend at least two years, maybe more there. Um, he was not a free man. He was renting his own place to live, but he was chained to a soldier the whole time that he was there. Uh, but people could come and go, take care of his needs, and that was a, a wonderful thing. That's why he could have Tychicus and Onesimus and uh, Luke and a bunch of others that were gathered around to be of help to him as well. But he's not a free man. He can't run on over there to uh, Ephesus or over to Colossae and spend time with him. He can't do that at all. So he has to write letters, and that's what he's been doing. Um, <clears throat> he's concerned for others. Um, he had a group of people that were with him that encouraged him. Um, but there were probably seven or eight people in, in this group of Pauls that, that uh, were ministering to him, and they were willing to make trips to other places. The uh, thing that shows up clearly is Paul's love and concern for the churches. And, and, and I love to see that because you, you've got Paul. He, he was not even the one who planted the church in Colossae. It, it, it was, <clears throat> I can't remember his name right now. He'll be coming up in a minute. <laughs> anyway, so he was the one that, that planted the church. And, and so the church there doesn't know Paul personally. But he still cares for them and he wants to be an encouragement to them. Um, Paul had every human reason to be self-focused and self-absorbed. I mean, think about it. He can't go anywhere. He's stuck in this prison. He's chained to a soldier. And, you know, it's going to be that way until the Roman emperor finally says, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that thing with, uh, with that Paul guy. Um, but, it, you know, he's waiting. The answer to what happens to him is going to be either life or death. There are no other options here. They didn't put you in prison. They, they either killed you or they set you free most of the time. And so here he is going through this, and, and, and he's still more concerned about other people. He's interested and concerned about the, the, uh, the churches. Now, Paul's example for someone who was other-focused rather than self-focused was Christ. Think of this. Christ's on the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, or while they're nailing him to the cross, I'm sorry, what does he do? He forgives the people who are doing this to him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then <clears throat> as they put the cross in place, remember the thieves on either side are, are 
basically yelling abuses at him and all kinds of stuff and, and telling him to, you know, why don't you go ahead and come on down, take us with you, you name it, they were yelling it. And then one of them stops and seems to understand that there's something different here in Jesus. And he says, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. So he forgives this criminal who's been doing some horrendous things in the way he's been treating Jesus, even though he's under the same same punishment. And then just before he gives up his spirit, he sees his mother at the foot of the cross, and he says to John, take care of Mary. Take care of my mom. Talk about being other-focused and not self-focused. Many times when we hurt or we're in pain, all we can think about is what we're going through and how we want to get this over with and get this taken care of. And yet Paul's example was Jesus, and and Jesus wasn't self-focused. He wasn't self-centered. He was focused outward. And so Paul has learned as he grew in his faith and his walk with Christ, to be other-centered rather than self-centered, to be Christ-like in his behavior rather than to be selfish and looking only at himself. So if we want to be mature believers, mature in our Christian walk, if we want to truly be Christ-like in our own daily lives, it means we focus on others, not ourselves. And that's a really important thing to be thinking through. Um, Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What an incredible verse. And Paul is communicating to the churches in Galatia, you know, this is what you all need to realize. We were dead in our sins. When Christ saved us, then he changed us and made us his children. And so we are, we're no longer living with that deadness. We have Christ living in us because we believed and trusted that he would forgive our sins. And so we, the life we live is because of Christ. That's how we live. Now, Christ-like behavior comes from the reality that Christ is living in us. And I want to just take a look at this. I'm sure you've seen this before. Go ahead and put the next one up, Daryl. Thank you. There's uh, three circles here represent a life. The S stands for self. And uh, the chair stands for, you know, who's in control, who's ruling, whatever, however you want to put that. The cross stands for Christ. The person on, <clears throat> on the left, the cross is on the outside. And the person is doing anything he wants. Christ has nothing to do with him other than maybe calling him and trying to you know, get him to see that he needs a Savior. But nothing's happening at that point. He's, he's an unbeliever, someone who's turned away from the, the gift that's being offered, uh, always making the choice to say, no, this is not for me, rather than, you know what, I'm, maybe I should think about this. The second circle is someone who has come to grips with the fact that they are lost and on their way to hell, and realizing that the only answer to that was Jesus when he said, hey, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to forgive, so if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And so this person has has done that, and you can see that 
in, in the way that they're trying to live is that Christ would be the center of things, that he would be the one that's kind of in control. Um, and, and this is someone who's trying to live a surrendered life. They're trying to say, Lord, how is it that you want me to do things today? Lord, I want to be involved in what you want me to do today. Lord, I want to honor you in the way that I live today. Now, the next circle is someone who is uh, who's a believer, but who is basically saying, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to go to heaven, I'm glad I'm forgiven, and yeah, I'll be in church and that kind of stuff, but you know, I, I've got to control things. I've got to make sure that I'm getting the things done that I need to do in the way that I want to do them. So, on one level, if you're looking at these, the, the, the circle in the middle is what Paul is saying, hey, this is, this is the way to live if you want to be Christ-centered, if you want to be someone who is seeking to honor God in his life. Now, I, I just want to say that <clears throat> there's, between those two, the, the center and, and the right slide, it's very simple to go from one to the other one, isn't it? If on one, if on one level all of a sudden you just lose your cool and you blow up all over the place, well, you're not surrendered at that moment to Christ. Now that can be fixed at any point in time. We confess and He cleanses us and, and we're able to keep going. Um, every believer like Paul and Tychicus and others that we've learned of, all of them made that choice to believe that Jesus had died for them and that He is the only way to live. And, and that's why Paul could live the way he does. And that's why Tychicus could do the things that he did. And all of the others, it was because they were seeking to honor Christ in their lives. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. Every one of them is a person, a human being, just like you and me. And, you know, sometimes I know as I, many years I would be reading along and I'd think, well, you know, Paul, he's kind of in another category. You know, I, I'm, I'm way down here. Well, Paul's up here. Well, Paul was human. Now, he did some extraordinary things for Christ, but he did those things with Christ working through him, not because he was so much better than all of the rest of us. And I think that's something we need to always be thinking through. Um, Those who believe and accept God's gift of salvation will seek to live surrendered to Christ in in any way they possibly can. So I think the encouragement for me in in this first section was the whole idea that you know, I wanted to be choosing to live in a way that shows that I'm living Christ-centered life or a other-centered life rather than self-centered. Go on in the letter, though, in verse 10. <clears throat> Paul says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who was, you know, he gave us the instructions. Uh, if he comes, welcome him. And so verse 10, Aristarchus sends his greetings. Now, he was on Paul's third missionary journey, and he actually was with Paul when he brought the gift from all of the Asian uh, and, and, Greek, Greek, and Greek churches to the city of Jerusalem for the poor Christians. He was one of those guys that traveled. He was also in Ephesus when Paul was there and they, that riot took place. He was one of the guys that was actually grabbed and taken, and they were trying to, um, you know, cause them some serious harm. Um, there's a whole lot of things when you think about Aristarchus. He's mentioned in a number of different places. Uh, it's highly probable that he was in Jerusalem when the gifts were given and when Paul was arrested and the whole time that he was in Caesarea waiting to find out whether he was going to go to Rome or not. All of that time, Luke was there and Aristarchus was there and possibly Tychicus and some others. So there's a group of people that are meeting his needs even though he's in, in prison in Caesarea Philippi at that point in time. So that's Aristarchus. Um, then in uh, the second part, it says, um, 
Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And you remember Mark. Mark's the guy who was traveling with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, got partway into the trip and decided he didn't want to do this anymore, and he went home. Second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to take, and, and Barnabas says, I want to take Mark again, and Paul says, not a chance, we're not doing that. And so now you've got two teams that go out. You've got Paul and Silas that go out, and you've got Barnabas and Mark that go out, and, and they go different places. Mark, apparently, uh, according to tradition, is the, one of the first people to go to Egypt to present the gospel to the people in that area, and is considered by many the person who planted the church in Alexandria. Alexandria. And so at this point in, in, in the ministry, Paul has reconciled with Mark very easily, and Mark comes many times through to serve him. And at this point, he's saying, hey, if he comes, you, you know, remember, he's a good guy and he can help you. At the end of Paul's life in, in Timothy, he says to Timothy, come and bring Mark if you can. He'd be really helpful in ministry. So you understand there's been a big change in Mark. He goes on in verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings, and these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom. So Justice is a person who changed his name because it would be kind of hard to testify about Jesus when you're the name Jesus. And so many of them apparently took the name Justice or something else so as not to confuse themselves with Jesus. Um, Verse uh, 12 Epaphras, who is one of you, and Epaphras is the one who went to, to Rome to tell Paul of the problems in the church. Epaphras is the one who planted the church in Colossae. Um, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And Paul says, hey, I vouch for this guy. He is working hard for you in prayer. He's working really hard, praying for you. Why he's not going back to Colossae, we don't know. But we do know that he spends time with Paul and eventually eventually does, does go home. So um, <clears throat> Paphras is one of those guys who was probably saved in Ephesus when Paul had that long time period he was there. And then he went back to Colossae to... Um, uh, the other two churches, Hierapolis and Laodicea, and planted churches. And those three churches were almost uh, very, very close to each other in that area. Um, and he's someone who sought to follow God's will and not let the pressures and the culture change him. So that's why when false teaching started to kind of make itself known, he says, we got to fix this. This can't be. And so he goes himself to Paul, says, this is what's going on. How can we fix it? Paul sits down, writes a letter, and that's what Tychicus is doing, taking that letter back to the church in Colossae. I love the fact that he wrestled in prayer for them or worked hard in prayer, agonized in prayer. Um, and, and, you know, he's praying a very specific thing. He's wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. What a great prayer to pray for somebody. I'm going to pray for my daughter that she will stand firm as she follows the Lord Jesus and that she will do all of the things that God's will puts before her to do. I mean, it's a wonderful prayer. And he prays this for the people in Colossae. He wants them to become mature and fully assured in their faith. And he's praying for that. Uh, just very short implication. We have, we, 
When it comes to prayer, and again, I've, I've mentioned this many times, if, if you really want to make people feel guilty, start talking about prayer and what they should do or shouldn't do. Um, I've, I've been on the other side of that many times, so that's why I can say I understand that. But I, I want to say this. We talked about prayer last week some. Again, prayer is, comes in all kinds of forms. Um, it, it, may come, it may come as a friend of mine I mentioned last week who gets up every morning at 4.30 in the morning and he just spends about two hours in prayer. That's him. He's not telling anybody else to do it. He doesn't even talk about it. I just happened to notice it when I was there. And, um, you know, that's what he does. There are other people who, who spend some time in prayer, maybe early in the, in the day, but then they also all day long, they're praying and they're saying anything. And they see something happen, they're, they're praying or something reminds them of someone. A person comes to mind. They pray for them. And, and that way they have that attitude of prayer going all day long. But Paul says he works hard in prayer and again, I want to say this will mean different things to everybody. I said, I was reading that, work hard in prayer. I thought, how do you work hard in prayer? I mean, it's not like you can look up something in the Bible that says, here's the five steps to working hard in prayer. It's not there. You're not going to find it. Because, and I think one of the reasons is prayer is so different for every person in every situation. We are supposed to pray. But we are the ones that are supposed to put that in place for ourselves. For years, I struggled with trying to use somebody else's pattern and format for prayer. And I would struggle with it and struggle with it because it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was comfortable with. And I, I didn't think of in the lines that it was set down. But I finally started doing some things and doing some things that helped me to be able to pray the way I, I, I enjoy being able to pray. But working hard in prayer, some people may skip a lunch and fast and pray for people during that lunchtime. Others take a prayer walk, and they spend some time praying for a special or a difficult situation. Others, maybe, maybe you wake up in the night and someone comes to mind. Maybe it's time to stop whatever you're doing, like trying to get back to sleep and say, okay, Lord, I'll pray until you give me the okay to stop. My, my grandma, in 1955, my parents were missionaries in, in southern Mexico, and a very rural area. And uh, my grandma woke up, I mean, wide awake in the middle of the night. And the thing that came into her mind was pray for Don and Lucy. It's just, she prayed. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And she prayed for a couple hours, not even knowing what she was praying for, other than the fact that the Spirit of God had said pray for Don and Lucy. So she prayed. She went back to sleep eventually. Next morning got up and she wrote a letter to my mom and dad and sent it to them. And it was about six to eight weeks later, finally, the answer comes back. Because in the letter, she had said, what happened on such and such a date? This is what I, I woke up and was praying. <clears throat> and again, I don't remember this, but my, I've been told the story. <laughs> that was a night, I was about a year, year and a half old, and I was so sick, they didn't think I'd make it through the night. They'd been to the doctor, they'd done other things. Nothing. But our grandma prayed. Both of my grandmas were prayer warriors, and that's just one of the things. And I think when it comes to prayer, it's taking every opportunity that's presented and using it to take some need for someone before the Lord. Let's go on to verse 14 to 18 finish up our time. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, you remember Luke, the doctor. He's a good friend. He's a medical doctor. Uh, he joined Paul at some point during the second missionary journey. 
And, and Luke is known for traveling with Paul. He's the writer and historian. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Uh, when Paul and Silas had, had to leave Philippi, remember the Philippian jailer and all that stuff, and Paul and, and Silas had to get out of town quick, Luke stayed. And Luke stayed for a lengthy period of time working in the church there in Philippi and helping them to grow. Paul and Silas and the team are coming back through that area, and they pick up Luke, and they head on back to Jerusalem with the gifts that are being given. And so there's a whole lot of things that you see about about Luke. When, when they're back in, in uh, Jerusalem and Paul's in prison in Caesarea, many people feel that's the time he actually went out and did the research and wrote the book of Luke in that time frame because he had a chance to be there and talk to all the people and interview witnesses, all that kind of stuff. And that's what he did to write the book of Luke. He says, Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Now Demas <clears throat> joined with Luke in greeting the church, but Nothing describes Demas, just that he sent greetings. And it's possible things were already starting to go badly with Demas. We don't know. But in 2 Timothy, now this is Paul's second imprisonment. He's been arrested again. He's in prison. He's writing the last letter he's going to write. And, and this is the one where he, it feels like he's going to be going to his death at any point in time. 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, he says this. He says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Imagine. Someone who had spent a lot of time with Paul, had worked with Paul, listened to Paul as he dictated the letters and did different things for Paul. And yet now it, there's a sense perhaps of the fact that he's actually going to die pretty quickly here. And Demas says, ah, no, I'm gone. And he got out. And we don't ever hear of Demas again. Then Paul summarizes some statements. Verse 15, he asks that his greetings be passed on to all the others. He tells them to make sure that they trade letters with Laodicea so they can each read the letters. Uh, Archippus, Philemon's son, was probably the one who was pastoring the church there. And Paul says to the Colossians, encourage him to do his work. Encourage him to keep on and to finish the work God's called him to. And then he writes... Remember my chains, um, and this is Paul, remember my chains. Keep praying for me. I'm still in prison in Rome, and may God's grace surround you in every way. And the letter ends. So what do we take away from this? I mean, on one level, I wanted us to see there's some just very real people. That's who Paul's with. He's not with people who, uh, you know, are so much better than all of the rest of us that, you know, they just basically float above the ground. They don't even walk on it because they're so, so spiritual. That's not the case. They're plain, ordinary people. And Demas at one point was helpful and useful and then walked away, walked away from it. What would happen if Paul had written these letters and he wrote one to Colossae, one to Ephesus, and one to Philemon, and probably one to Laodicea, which we no longer have. What would happen if he'd written all of these letters and gotten them all ready to go and nobody would take them? They just sat there in Rome. See, that, that's where all of these other people come in. Tychicus took the letters to Ephesus and to Colossae and gave the letter to Philemon and then the one to Laodicea. That's, that's one of the things that Tychicus did. Um, Paul needed a lot of people, and they were involved in a lot of ways. That's why in verse 8, Paul says, 
I'm sending him, Tychicus, to you to exp- for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And so Tychicus takes the journey. Let's go ahead and put the map up there. All right, you see where Rome is up there on the left, and uh, Jerusalem's down there, right? That squiggly line is Paul's journey to Rome. Um, the circle there at Rome is where Tychicus started, and he had to go all the way down to the middle circle and then to the other circle. That's all the places he needed to go. Now, if he did it overland, and there were caravan routes that he could have taken, it was about 1,400 miles. Okay, so we're looking at it at least a month's journey, probably longer. It's possible he could have gotten on a boat or ship and traveled from Rome all the way to Ephesus. That did happen. If the winds were favorable, and if he had done that, then it's possible that within a month he could have been actually in Ephesus and then gone overland from there. Um, but stop and think about what's going on in all of this. And, and the thing that struck me, and Paul says, I want, I want him, him to tell you about our circumstances. I wonder if he isn't thinking about all the things that go on while he's writing this letter. Think about it. Here you've got Tychicus, and you've got Luke, and you've got these others, and and maybe Luke's the scribe, and so he's writing stuff, and and Paul's dictating. So everybody there is hearing what he intends to send to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae, and they're hearing it. My guess, again, pure speculation on my part, my guess is that from time to time he would stop and say, does that sound right? What do you guys think? I mean, there's a bunch of guys here who have been working together in the ministry, and he's, he's not having the Holy Spirit just give him words, and he's just like a computer spitting them out. He's being led by the Spirit of God as he dictates the letter. But maybe they were able to stop and talk about it, because when Tychicus goes and, and they're reading through the letter, at the end of the letter, maybe they say, hey, what did Paul mean by this over here? And he said, yeah, I remember we talked about it. And, and this is what Paul was trying to get across. And so he could give further teaching on the letter which they had just received. Again, it's speculation on my part, but I would assume that that's the kind of thing that happened because it, it, it was a place where they all were together as, as these things were happening. Now, here's what we know and some of what we guess about Tychicus very quickly. Uh, he was saved when Paul was at Ephesus, traveled with Paul to Jerusalem, uh, to deliver the gifts and stayed there. When Paul was arrested, Tychicus, along with Luke and others, stayed and went with Paul through that whole process of, of his imprisonment in Caesarea. The voyage on the way back, or on the way to Rome, of course, they have the shipwreck, and then eventually they end up back in, in Rome, or they end up in Rome, and he's in that rented house. Now, it's interesting because Paul wrote this in Corinthians, Second Corinthians. I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day on the sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And it's interesting, one of the uh, writers that I was reading this last week said, Tychicus could have written something very similar because he went along and and was with Paul through many of these things. Maybe he wasn't whipped and beaten and all those things as many times as Paul was, but he had lived this kind of life. 
You traveled with Paul and you lived that kind of life with him. So that's one thing. He delivered Paul's letters to Ephesus, Colossae, Philemon. He relieved, he relieved, I'm sorry, he relieved Titus of his responsibilities so Titus could go see Paul. We find that in Titus. He also pastored the church in Ephesus so that Timothy could go and see Paul. And that we find that in 2 Timothy. Now, Tychicus didn't write anything that we know of. If he wasn't uh, mentioned in the Bible, we wouldn't even know who he was. Someone has said, there's a quote I came across, that the greatest ability in the world is dependability. And this is true, especially of Tychicus. Paul could say, would you go do this? Sure, yeah, I'll travel 1,400 miles. I'll do it, no problem. Got you covered. Take care of it. Um, and it's almost as if Paul was saying, don't think that because I wrote the letter that Tychicus is less than I am. You know, I wrote the letter, Tychicus carried it and delivered it and helped to, you to understand it. Um, there's, again, you think of Tychicus and he's basically just uh, someone who Paul sends to do different things in different places, from pastoring a church to encouraging churches. And, and I came across this quote again, and it was talking about Tychicus. There is greatness in the smallest things done for Christ. When Tychicus was doing the smallest thing, he was serving Christ. He must have realized that momentary things done for Christ were more than just now. They were eternal. came across this quote, too, that I love. The letters which Tychicus took to Asia would outlast the Roman Empire. Tychicus's name would be known until the end of time. Plain, ordinary, humble, do anything you ask him to do, Tychicus. Again, I think one of the reasons we're given all of these names is to kind of get a sense of what was happening and who was involved in different ways. And I came across this quote that I think really explains it. They are real, ordinary people who helped Paul carry out an extraordinary ministry for the sake of an extraordinary Savior. That's who these people are. They're like us, plain, ordinary, simple people who have the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what an incredible thing. People like us, you know, we can give ourselves to ministry through prayer. We can give ourselves to ministry through service. There's all kinds of ways. And we give ourselves to worship as we come on Sundays to lift up the Lord's name. So may we learn to be like Tychicus, to do those things that God gives us to do, and may we do them with joy because of who we're doing them for. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the just the simple truth of all of these people that we're looking at. What an amazing thing, Lord, that you didn't call superheroes, you called plain, ordinary, everyday men and women like us. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we have to love and honor you, to worship you, and to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.